Hi, I'm Sherry. And I'm Fran. And welcome to Modern Whittle Podcast, Episode 13, Suicide Prevention, with our very special guest, James Svensson from the University of Michigan. Fran, I believe this topic today is so important, and I know that our podcast will be very informative. Before we introduce our guest today, Fran, it's time for Weekend Shenanigans, Notable Events. Fran, do you have any shenanigans or events to share with us today? I do. You know that I I firmly believe in having joy in your life. Everyone should have joy in their life. It can be little things, big things. I also believe in sharing that joy uh, when you can. So for me, one of the joys in springtime is daffodils, seeing them, their color, their smell, their announcement of spring. They just scream that spring is finally here. So I was out doing errands and I came upon a farm stand with bunches and bunches of daffodils for sale. So I pulled over and I actually bought quite a few of the bunches. I then went and picked up sweet Easter cards for two of my neighbors and sent a text to them saying, I found smiles on the side of the road today. So look outside your door to find your own special smile. And then I put uh, a bunch of the daffodils along with their card, everything wrapped up in some pretty tissue paper outside their doors. And I got texts back from both of them saying, you made my day. And because I made their day, it made my day. So that was just a little bit of, of joy yesterday. How about you? Fran, first of all, how wonderful of you to do that. It's so sweet. And yes, spring is in the air. It makes you happy. And making other people happy makes you happy. Yeah. So a great story. As a matter of fact, I do have a notable event. I am a member of the Fraternal Order of Eagles in Michigan. And being an eagle, I can go to all eagle organizations anywhere. Well, Cape Coral has a wonderful eagle organization and also a very nice building. And so when I have company, I've taken them to the Eagles. And Fran, you and I went to the Eagles on a couple of occasions when you were here. Yes. So I want to promote these local charitable organizations, be it the Eagles, Elks, Moose, Lion, Rotary, Kiwanis, Zanta, and there could be some more charitable organizations that I'm not mentioning, but I'm not forgetting about any of you. I want people to look into their community and see if there's a charitable organization they can join because these charitable organizations give back locally, but they also do national and international charities. And Everyone at the Eagles organization, be it in Michigan or here in Cape Coral, they are so nice. They're just wonderful people. And it's a wonderful organization. So that is my notable event for this week. Nice. And yes, you're correct. I I have been to the Eagles several times with you and everyone is just so friendly and we always have so much fun. But beneath all of that, yes, there, there is good work being done. I would like to welcome our very special guest today, James Fenson, who was a clinical social worker at the University of Michigan Health System in the Psychiatric Emergency Service and co-leads a survivor of suicide bereavement group for the University of Michigan Department of Psychiatry. 
Jim created the first multifamily psychoeducation group in Michigan and became a Department of Community Health trainer supervisor for the multifamily psychoeducation groups. At the same time, he was the supervisor of the Washtenaw County Community Mental Health Assertive Community Treatment Team, also known as ACT. During his 12 years with ACT, he led the effort to enhance the team's effectiveness by adding integrated dual diagnosis treatment, trauma services, and multifamily groups. Jim, welcome to our podcast today. Thank you. That's a wonderful introduction. Well, you have a nice resume, Jim. (laughs) Um, Good morning and welcome to our podcast. I think it's safe to say that most people at some point in their lives have been touched by mental health issues, either personally or perhaps uh, with a friend or family member. We also appreciate that the stigma that's accompanied mental health issues in the past is now finally being taken out of the spotlight, so to speak. So the real work can be done in this area. So we are so happy you agreed to speak with us today. And we do have just a few topics that we'd like to discuss with you this morning, if that's okay. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm going to start with, as a friend or family member, what's the best thing we can do to help someone who we believe is struggling? Well, I'm glad you brought this up. And, and I want to clarify, too, that I have worked with people who have made serious lethal suicide attempts. And so I've worked with people with depression and anxiety. And I have also worked with leading these groups of people who are what we call survivor of suicide groups, which are for people who have lost a loved one who's died by suicide. And so they're grieving. And so I I sort of go at this from both sides, having clinically, you know, assessed and treated people who have, who are thinking about suicide or have made serious attempts or the, the, the widows and other people left behind. But one of the things I, I, cause I, as I was leading up to Saturday to do this podcast, I was thinking about all the things to talk about. And so I wanted to say that there are just these massive myths out there about mental health treatment and suicide. I wanted to say that suicide rates have been going up steadily for decades, but the majority of those people who do die by suicide are not in treatment for their depression or other mental health issues. And so I want to make that very subtle distinction is that, you know, the suicide rates are going up. But the majority of those people are not getting the help they need. And I think it has to do with, like you said, Fran, it it goes back to some stigma about actually getting mental health treatment. And I want to just tell you, as a representative of the Depression Center at Michigan Medicine, is that treatment for depression does work. And that we are able to help people who are struggling with depression, suicidal thoughts, and other mental health issues. But one thing I wanted to point out today is that the leading method of dying by suicide is by gunshot wound. So over 50% of the people who die by suicide shoot themselves. So one of the things that family members can do, and there are a lot of laws that have been enacted in the last few years, is getting the guns out of the home of somebody who is suicidal. And there are a lot of laws where they can just be temporarily removed. And so that's one thing that you can do. And of course, in order to do that, you also have to be talking to your loved one about if they're having any thoughts of suicide. And I think that's one of the myths out there is that people have thought you can't ask somebody about suicide because you're going to put it in your head, in their head, that they, they, you know, they will not have been thinking about this and suddenly put it in their head. And that is a total myth. 
Uh, most of us, I think, have had some point in our lives where we, you know, thought about suicide. The majority of us have said that's ridiculous. It isn't going to solve anything. But those people who get depressed may have sort of like tunnel vision thinking where their thinking gets constricted and they start focusing on suicide as a possible solution to their problems. Another myth that's out there is that if you somebody's thinking about dying by, you know, by shooting themselves, that if you remove the gun, they'll just find some other way to kill themselves. And that is not true because the majority of it's very hard to actually try to kill yourself. And so most people have thought through how they're going to do it. And if they don't have the way that the, the method that they have concocted, that they've thought of, that this is the way I can do it, then they will not turn to alternatives. Okay. And also, if you've had the conversation with them, you've also helped. You've helped with reducing their urge to actually follow through with this. So anyway, my, and so my big point is that treatment for depression can help. It is okay to ask family members if they're thinking about suicide. And the best and the, the biggest thing you can do is remove any means by which the person is thinking of suicide. That is very interesting. Wow. You, you made some points that I, I had not even really thought about. Uh -huh. So what if you're the person that's struggling with depression or a, a mental health issue? If you're the person struggling, what's the number one thing that you can do or should do? Well, I think it's telling somebody that you trust in it and or, you know, and it could be your family doctor. And in fact, you know, I reached out to Dr. Cheryl King, who is a psychologist who works at the Depression Center. And she actually has a dual appointment. She's also a psychologist in the Department of Psychology on campus, University of Michigan campus. And she works at the Medical Center and she studies suicide. And so I reached out to her to get some statistics, which she gave me. So one of the things you can do is that there, there is a national suicide prevention lifeline, and that number is 1-800-273-8255. But you can also reach out to your uh, family physician. Dr. Cheryl King did some research where she found that the majority of people who commit, who die by suicide, and also I want to say that in the suicide prevention movement, we do not like this term commit suicide because it, it makes it sound like the person has committed a crime. And, and instead, we really prefer the words that your loved one has died by suicide. And, and in one way, you could think of it, they died from depression that was untreated. Mm -hmm. But anyway, uh, Dr. King was, did some research that found that a lot of people who died by suicide had actually been seen by their primary care doctor or some physician in the three months before dying by suicide. And so she started trying to build a program where to make primary care physicians and other doctors more aware of this issue and feeling more comfortable asking about it. Interesting. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot of discussion recently on yeah. how the pandemic uh, with its forced isolation has understandably led to an increase in mental health issues such as depression, fear, despondency, hopelessness. Could you share your thoughts on that and how could that be helped? Well, I, I think there is, you know, and I also asked Dr. King if she had any statistics about the change in suicide rates during the pandemic. 
and they just don't have the statistics yet. But I'm sure they're going to have them soon. But I mean, this isolation has been an issue with every patient I have talked to this year, or the majority, the vast majority of them are struggling with this. And especially if they're at home alone, or if they have, you know, some people have chronic health issues that make them more vulnerable to COVID-19, and, and then they can't visit their loved ones. And especially for people who are single or maybe are living with in a couple where the, there are issues or whatever, it can make things really rough. I think it's really made things rough. Yeah. Jim, you talked about treatments for depression, and could you explain exactly what are some treatments for depression? Okay, yeah. So there are, obviously, I think most people are aware that there are antidepressant medications, which can be very efficacious and help people. When I started my career, and I'm 62, so when I started my career early on, there were a very limited number of medications, and a lot of them had sort of side effects that made them a little bit harder to tolerate. But now they have the SSRIs and the NRSIs, and the SSRI stands for serotonin reuptake inhibitors or selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. And those have a much narrower profile of side effects and are much more tolerable to most people. And so there's medications, but there's also psychotherapies. And so, and the most common one out there is what's called cognitive behavioral therapy. And so this is, is pretty widespread, the availability of cognitive behavioral therapies or CBT for depression. There are also mindfulness approaches to treatment for depression. And there's also other modalities like dialectic behavioral therapy, which help people deal with suicidal impulses or depression. Well, I am a huge proponent of the aspect or the concept of mindfulness. I, mm-hmm. I think it's something that is coming into common communication right now. There's been a lot of discussions about it, and I think everyone should read about it and try to make that part of their lives. Could you talk a bit about the effects of drugs and alcohol on our mental health? And conversely, uh, the positive effects of proper nutrition, exercise, and sleep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so, and all of those things are relevant. I think a lot of us have been sort of raised to turn to drugs and alcohol to relieve tension. I mean, we've seen it in our families. It's popular in the culture. There's, you know, advertisements on TV that when you're having fun, you have to have a beer in your hand. And so, and so you know, a lot of people can drink moderately and have that in control. But there are a lot of people who struggle with uh, substance abuse where, you know, and alcohol is the, is the most widely abused drug. So the other side of the story is that, you know, alcohol can sort of loosen you up and make you feel easy going to a party or something, but it also tends to deepen depression. It can be addictive as in certain people are more susceptible to that than others. And then it also actually, and and I think a lot of people do not know this, is that it interferes with sleep. It actually undermines the structure of sleep. And so while there are lots of people out there who think they'll have a beer or a glass of wine to help them go to sleep, 
They don't know that it's undermining the structure of their sleep later on. And I've even noticed this in myself. If I have one beer, I am much more likely to wake up at four in the morning and have mm. trouble falling back asleep. This is, I think, new information a lot of people don't know. And if, you, if your sleep is undermined, it can definitely increase your chances for uh, developing a depressive episode. Anyway, so I think people can also, uh, you know, alcohol and drug problems also are amenable to treatment and can help. That can help a lot. And you were also talking about uh, nutrition and exercise. And so I think getting, we know that exercise can boost the amount of serotonin in your body. So can getting out and having sunlight, but so also can socializing with people. And if you remember, one of those, one of the major actions of the antidepressant medications is to boost the amount of uh, serotonin that is available in your brain. They've also done studies which have shown that people who committed suicide often have very, very low, marked, markedly lower levels of serotonin than is normal. And so the, the medications can help boost it, but so can exercising, so can socializing, so can, you know, there are a lot of activities that are normal activities that boost serotonin. Mm -hmm. And so being isolated alone and not getting out and doing things can really increase your chances of depression. And then I think there's also some vitamin deficiencies that sometimes can be involved in, in uh, depression as well. And I think that's vitamin D. I hope I'm correct about that, but that can also be a factor. Yeah, vitamin D uh, has really been a topic of uh, a lot of conversations lately, especially during the pandemic. Because uh, this is my last one, and I'll wrap it up unless Sherry has another one. You're because you're involved with survivor groups. Mm -hmm. How how do we help, or how can we help friends or relatives who, even after years have passed? struggle with thinking that there was more that they could have done when one of their loved ones or friends has died by suicide and they're still blaming themselves. Yeah. And I would say that this is a very common problem among survivors. And so and one other thing I want to say is that I don't know what proportion of people who are survivors of suicide actually end up going to a group. And I'm afraid that it's very low. That's my fear. And I asked Dr. Cheryl King if she had any statistics on that. And she said she, she doesn't. She does not know what percentage of, of survivors actually go to a group. But I would say that I think it, my experience over and over again is that the groups have helped people get better. But at the same time, I'm not sure groups are that widely accessible. A lot of times groups are started by survivors and then they peter out after a few years because it's a heavy duty topic. Sure. To lead a group about but I, I but and, and I one survivor who wrote a book and now I'm going to blank on her name I'm going to blank on her name but she wrote that a survivor needs to worry about that about you know what they didn't do until they no longer need to worry about it we do often share that with our members but we also help them get not get over this, but to integrate the loss into their lives. And that's the, the approach we take is that people will eventually integrate the loss into their lives. You're, you're never going to get over a, a loved one dying by suicide, but you will learn how to rebuild your life and go on. And I think 
letting letting go of the of the guilt is a major thing that people need to do and i think one of the things that helps is going to a group and sitting in a, a group of other survivors and you realize they're all thinking the same thing and then you start talking about it and realizing that your loved one ultimately did what they did and they probably could have gotten help they probably could have been you know, helped with this, but you have to, the survivor has to let themselves off the hook at some point, or at least come to, and this way may be where mindfulness helps with depression and with these kind of repetitive thoughts of guilt is accepting what is, is learning to somehow come to terms with accepting what is, trying to let go of fixing it, you know, and I think part of the, part of the guilt thing is that it's somehow in our brains, we think that if we think about it enough and feel guilty about it enough, somehow we're going to be transported back in time and we can fix it. But it's not true. It, it can't be changed what happened. Right. Well, you know, bottom line it is, it, even though it's a death by suicide, it's a death. Bottom line, yep. it's a death. You're going to grieve. And, yeah. and you have to go through that whole grieving process, uh, per se. And I, I, I guess that's another way to look at it. Uh, I, I understand the guilt. I, I do understand the guilt and thinking you could have helped it. But in the end, <clears throat> it's, a, it's yet another type of death. Yeah, yeah. But I think one thing I wanted to say, too, is that for people who are grieving a death by suicide, they're much more likely to develop what we, a diagnosis, which is complicated bereavement. And so in that, in psychiatry, we actually separate out normal bereavement from complicated bereavement. And so people who have lost somebody to suicide are much more likely to develop complicated bereavement where it goes on and endures and lasts for years and years, like you were talking about. Hmm. So I think the groups can help with that. There are also some people who specialize in individual treatment for bereavement, for complicated bereavement, and there are some evidence-based approaches out there for complicated bereavement. But I think talking to somebody, talking to an individual therapist, going to a group can really help. And one of the, one of the techniques that we use in our group, which I think anybody can do, is getting out pictures and remembering the good stories, the stories that are... About your loved one that are not connected to those bad stories, the last days or months that led up to the the death by suicide, mm-hmm. and and remembering the good stories, the good times mm-hmm. that can really help. You know, that's a very interesting statement, Jim, because Fran and I are both widows. Our husbands died from natural causes. My husband had a heart attack, a massive heart attack, and died instantly. Fran's husband found out that he had cancer and died five to six weeks after that. And one thing about the podcast I have found is that I can now talk about my husband and enjoy the stories that we shared. And uh, my husband's been gone for three years. And I finally have come to that point where I can do that. So I appreciate you talking about people talking about the good times that they had with their loved ones. Yeah, Yeah, I think it's really powerful. We let people, um, they can keep coming to our group until they feel like they've gotten it out of their system or kind of that they've gotten what they needed from the group. And we have one guy whose dad had set it up that he would find the body and 
he had to do all this stuff after after his dad's suicide and you know his dad had written out instructions for him about all the things he had to do and he was pretty upset with his dad and when he came to our group and we had this told him that he should bring pictures and tell stories about his dad he told us at the end after coming to our group for about a year and a half he said when you guys first told me that i thought that was such a crock he thought he's he said he didn't think that would work at all and he you know had buried those pictures and he didn't have them, hadn't looked at them. But then over the year, year or year and a half that he came to group, he started bringing the, the pictures in and telling the stories and sort of came to a more balanced view that his dad had been this really wonderful, very dynamic guy. And that, you know, he had decided to end his life because of a bunch of complicated you know, things he was enmeshed in at the end of his life. But he was able to, you know, develop that nuanced view and remember how fun his dad had been and how much he loved him and how much his dad loved him. And so that's what I think really is healing in the end. Well, Jim, first of all, I want to thank you uh, for coming on today. I think that this is one of the toughest subjects that we've covered to date. Mm-hmm. So again, I, I would like to thank you so much. I think our listeners are going to get a lot of helpful information out of this. Okay. Well, I'm glad to help and talk about it. I mean, it is something I'm passionate about. <laughs> and I hope you'll be willing to come back. I'm sure that we're going to have questions from our audience. So Jim, thank you so much once again for joining okay. our podcast. Thank you very much. Fran, it's time to end our podcast for this week. We want to thank our EP for her continued expert advice and critiques of our podcast, plus a special thanks to our EP because she was the one who connected us with our special guest today, James Spenson. Many thanks to Park North Studios for mixing our audio. Special thanks to our guest, Jim, for making this episode so informative because it is such an important subject to discuss. And of course, we want to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in every week. And Fran, we have some comments from our audience this week. Would you like to start with yours? Sure. We continue to get submissions from one of our earliest podcasts, which was about love stories. And I received uh, two really cute ones from Nancy in Maine. She says, I've been dating an airman. His buddies told me that while eating in the chow hall, he'd write my name in his mashed potatoes. And I figured that had to be true love. What a sweet little story, Nancy. Thank you so much. And I had another one from Deborah in South Dakota. One day he told me, if one of us dies, let's agree to wait for the other to die so we can come back together in our next life. And that was that. And that is very, very touching. Both stories are very touching in very special ways. I also had a a comment, and it's from Terry in Michigan. And she writes, just wanted you to know how informative Bob's input was on your two podcasts. Now, Bob was our estate planning attorney, and he did do two podcasts with us. I really enjoyed listening to his advice. Great guest to have on. Also, what is the name and singer of the Who Will Tend the Home Front song? Maybe that was the name. Terry, thank you for writing. And the name of the song is Who Will Watch the Home Place? And it is sung by Lori Lewis. 
And I'm so glad that you like that song because that song has very special meaning to me. My husband was a farmer and Who Will Watch the Home Place was played at his funeral because I thought the lyrics were so appropriate. So thank you again for writing. If you would like to write a comment, our email is modern.widow.podcast at gmail.com. Once again, modern.widow.podcast at gmail.com. And you can listen to our podcast on the following apps, Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and Google Podcast. I'm Sherry. And I'm Fran. And we want to let you know that next week's episode is going to be called Catching Up. And that's what we'll be doing. We'll be catching up with people. Uh, We'll be catching up with topics and actually looking ahead a little bit to our activities coming up. So till next time, remember, the road ahead will always be under construction. So watch out for potholes. See ya. Bye-bye. When you're down and troubled and you need a helping hand and nothing, oh, nothing is going right. Close your eyes and think of me and soon I will be Brighten up even your darkest night. You just call up my name, and you know wherever I am, I'll come running. Oh, yeah, babe, to see you again. Spring, summer, or fall. All you got to do is call, and I'll be there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got a friend. If the sky above you. You turn dark and full of clouds And that old north wind should begin to blow Keep your head together And call my name out loud now Soon I'll be knocking Upon your door You just call up my name And you know wherever I am I'll come running Oh yes I will see you again Winter, spring, summer got to do is call and I'll be there yeah 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 hey ain't it good to know that 
you've got a friend when people can be so cold they'll hurt you and desert you well they'll take your soul if you let them oh yeah but don't you let them you just call out my Oh yeah, yeah, you've got 